you're here today. Praise God. And I'm glad to see you. Do we have any people out in our parking lot? Okay. That might be mad out back. I don't know. So we'll see. So we're going to jump right in and begin this morning where we left off. So we've got a lot of good ground to cover. So we were beginning uh, last week to explore the question, what does the kingdom cost us? What does the kingdom of God cost us? Because Jesus is very clear that there are certain costs associated uh, with being his disciple, with giving him priority in our lives and making him first. And so one of the costs that we talked about last week is that uh, to enter this kingdom, to receive this kingdom, one of those costs is the surrender of our pride. Uh, it means becoming a servant, a servant even when the tasks seem mundane and thankless. And uh, some of the most transforming kingdom work that I can do sometimes is maybe making myself unload the dishwasher, as strange as that may sound. Uh, or the, the and, and we miss that we think, oh, I'm going to be doing these grand things for the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven gives me the strength and the ability uh, to repent of my sin. It gives me the ability to tell my wife an unconditional, I'm sorry when I have said or done something wrong. And... Uh, to be able to own up to that. That is kingdom strength too. But I kind of, you know, I, and I'm speaking for myself, and I, I I'm, I'm probably am not representative of every other man in this room, but in some ways I am. And uh, uh, I think that a lot of times I do these little tasks, and I want some kind of special recognition. I want, I want a special boy of some kind. And so I'll drop these little hints sometimes. Hey, honey, did you notice I unloaded the dishwasher? Some of you wives out there know what I'm talking about. Hey, honey, did you notice that I made my own lunch today? And when I needed mayonnaise, I didn't ask you for it. I got up and I got the mayonnaise myself. Did you happen to notice that? And you know, you wives know that look on your husband's face when they're kind of fishing for an attaboy or a little. Because you have a look on your face, a little bit of pursed lips, a little bit of... And you husbands know what it feels like when you go looking for a pat on the back and instead you get a Disney song. And the fight continues. It goes on from there. See, our need for praise, our ideas of fairness and doing our fair share, our sense of justice, I think the Lord, he knows that we need these things. And in his kingdom, we are going to be taken care of. The Lord is going to provide for us everything we need. But it's hard for us to trust this. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. But we are in a system where we try to take care of and all of these things that the Lord knows that we need, but we want to be the ones who have control of that. Hi. So, uh, we have to grow in a certain level of humility to trust and accept that God is going to take care of my need for justice, my need for recognition, my need for whatever it is, my daily bread. Uh, it takes humility to trust that God sees, God knows, God will reward, God will handle the situation that I'm in. But over and over again in the scriptures, Jesus talks about the tremendous costs of entering the kingdom of God. And these costs are very real, so much so that a lot of times we play games about, well, how do I just kind of partially commit? Or how do I just get my toes wet in this? Uh, because I'm not entirely sure I want this yet. I'm not entirely sure I want to give up life strategies of taking care of myself. Because if I don't, who is going to take care of me? If I... I Lying is a convenient thing. I'm not sure I want to give that up. I'm not sure I want to give up this pleasure. I think I'm better at getting the pleasure I need than waiting for God to give me that pleasure or whatever. So we have all of these things we tell ourselves that we're not entirely sure we want to go all in for the kingdom of God a lot of times. And so we play these games where we try to time things so that we can squeak through the doors of heaven last minute with, uh, we want to get in before those doors close, but we don't want to deal with the uncomfortableness of being a disciple of Jesus any longer than we have to. We want to get the maximum benefit for the minimum cost. We want to pay the smallest Everyone likes a deal, right? We want to pay the smallest admission price that we can possibly pay and still get in. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, uh, this kind of thinking, of course, is all wrong. And Jesus is very clear about that. And this kind of thinking is what plagues churches in North America and Europe and it plays a large part in why churches are dying and closing their doors. Because when uh, you play that game of the minimum that I'm going to give, that minimum keeps shrinking and getting smaller and smaller. And uh, uh, at first, you'll let go of certain activities. Then uh, you let go of other things. Then you let go of the church coming, you know, they're difficult people in that church, Lord. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. Being, I know there's stinkers in there, Lord, and I just, you don't want that for me. And, and so it goes on from there. And then you give up just kind of a faith or belief in God at all. But Jesus teaches us, if you want this kingdom, if you want this kingdom, you don't go about it seeking it that way. 
At some point, you're going to have to steal in your heart and your mind and in your activities and your behaviors uh, shown through obedience that you're ready to put all of your chips in the middle of the table. You're ready to go all in. You're going to go for it and you're not going to look back. And I'm not saying when we make that decision that it's all easy and that you're not going to look back and get turned into a pillar of salt or whatever the case may be, but hopefully not that. Uh, But we kind of, we steal ourselves and we go for it and then we kind of vacillate a little bit and that's kind of the journey of our discipleship. It's not, I haven't found it to be one clear-sided march right from here into eternity. That I go and I trust it And then I find myself wandering off and looking at other things and trying to find other treasures. And I'm distracted by these things over there. And, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And, oh, these are pretty. Where did these come from? So we have this winding journey of our redemption in the Lord. But Jesus, he doesn't mince words. He's very clear about the costs associated with entering his kingdom. So this is some of the cost language that Jesus uses. One leaves father and mother, home and family at its summons. And this is talking about a priority. It may not cost you those relationships, but if it comes down to it, it might. And I've known people who have lost their family for their commitment to Jesus Christ. It takes priority over family. You will become like a wanderer with no place to lay your head. It calls us out of comfort sometimes. It calls us out of place for the purposes of God's kingdom and his righteousness. Sometimes you will be hated because of your associations, who you hang out with, your choices that you make, and the commitments that you've made. You know, and, and if you live different than people in this culture, that, that's, to them that means you're judging me. You're, you're not and you become automatically the enemy just by the kind of commitments that you're making, the priorities that you have, uh, the difference in lifestyle that you have in regard to your resources, in regard to your relationships, in regard to your sexuality, or whatever that may be. It is so different than the culture around us. And because we are so different, we are viewed with fear and suspicion and... Uh, Sometimes that'll even lead to a kind of hatred. Uh, You open yourself to kinds of persecution when this happens because you're associated with Jesus. Luke 6, 22 and Matthew 5, 10 and 11. Uh, And even this kingdom, it calls us to difficult things like surrendering our needs of fairness and trusting that God will take care, that God sees, God knows, God will reward. My... This world cannot give us the justice that we seek. And we're forced in some ways to depend on God for the hope that someday we will receive justice. And that, that's, a, that's a heavy word, and that's a word that gives freedom as well. Because justice, of course, means I get my fair share. Apart from the blood of Christ, uh, that's going to be a problem for us. So this kingdom calls us to let go of things like revenge and retaliation. It tells us to do impossible things like turn the other cheek and not in a legalistic kind of heart or mind that it's like, okay, I've been commanded to turn the other cheek, so go ahead and get your second lick in because after that, boy, it's going to, 
That's not, that's not the kind of heart that we're called to have. But more like Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Indeed, that is our command ultimately, is to take up the cross of the suffering servant and become a suffering servant yourself when it's uncomfortable, when it's difficult, when it's mundane, when it's not glorious or exciting. We still have that call to take up the cross of Christ and all that entails in its pain, in its glory, in its beauty, in its shame. All right. Well, Jesus' words are so clear, in fact, that it really doesn't leave us with a whole lot of wiggle room. Uh, There's not a lot of room for us to be wishy-washy about this. Uh, We try to get away with just dipping our toes to test the water. Uh, We try different tricks to whitewash our conscience uh, and then go about largely self-focused lives. We give credence to our Lord and our words and our lips, and yet people look at our credit card statements, the way we spend our time, and uh, it's very clear that our lives are completely self-focused and sometimes even different various levels of narcissism going on. The plunge of the kingdom demands nothing short of our full commitment, our unconditional obedience, the surrender of our personal agenda to find a different agenda. It's calling us to give up a life in order to find a life. That's a difficult thing for us to stomach. That's a difficult cost for us to even contemplate. The giving of a life to find a life. But this game of trying to find the minimum entry requirement, it is in the end a losing proposition. And I don't know how many half-hearted, lukewarm, and double-minded people will find themselves shut out in the end. It's not for me to judge. I know the grace of God through Jesus Christ is bigger than I know, can measure, or imagine. And yet people make the mistake of presuming against that grace that God just wants me to be happy. Live your life however you want. It really doesn't matter. Do what makes you feel good. You do you, God, and I'll do me. Thank you. And that, if you have that kind of relationship, I would encourage you to think about your life strategy again. And the sadness to me is that when people live a worldly self-focused life, how much joy is missed for all the ways that you refuse to love Jesus Christ. I don't know. But the promise is, even with these costs and trying to weigh these costs and the difficulty of navigating all of this, the promise is, all you need to do is want it. And if you want it, you can have it. And the fruit of that decision begins to change your life in this world, this biological life we've been given. It begins to change all of that even now. If you're willing to ask, if you're willing to knock, if you're willing to search, the promise is that in the end you are going to find. 
The promise is that it will be given. The promise is that the doors that you really need, they will, in fact, be open to you. But uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the costs of being a disciple of Jesus. But what are the costs of non-discipleship? What is the cost of ignoring God and ignoring his kingdom, of just not giving God the time of day? Let me just say that we complain and think about the costs of the, of the kingdom and how high they are. But they are nothing compared to the costs of non-discipleship. Because when you realize what you have in Jesus Christ, it's the greatest bargain in human history for all time. It's, it is the number one deal out there. And there is no better deal. There's no better handshake for you. Following Jesus, even now. Learning from Him, even now. Working together with Him, even now. Becoming His friend, even now. It is the greatest opportunity and bargain you will ever receive. But uh, we're not going to dwell on the costs of non-discipleship, but the Bible is also very clear about this. Uh, that there are many who are going to miss out. And I don't think you miss out on heaven by, a he, uh, by just a hair. You, you try and you almost get there and not quite. But rather, I think people miss out on heaven by constantly ignoring, constantly resisting, constantly hiding, constantly brushing off and fighting against every overture and impulse of good that the Holy Spirit whispers in your heart to do. And you choose and you ignore the prompts toward good that the Lord makes to you over and over and over again. He does this with each and every human being. Every, every person out there. There are prompts that God has made. Overtures that He's made to you. Calling that He's done to you. And it might not be fireworks, it might not be the Ten Commandments written in the sky. It's, it's much more subtle than that. It's little ideas planted in our hearts. A, a desire to give thanks. Uh, a desire to say I'm sorry. A, a desire, a, an idea. An idea planted somewhere in there that I can do better and I can become a better man. I can be a better man. Where does that come from? Well, the Lord, He's constantly trying to reach into our lives through our circumstances, through His Word, through our interactions with people. Well, let me just say a few things about the cost of non-discipleship. Uh, bottom line... What you do in this life, the, the choices you make in this biological, physical life with a number of years, hopefully, that you've been given, it really matters what you do with this time. And we all waste a lot of it. And when we find out that we, what we have been, when we truly find out what we have been given in Jesus Christ, 
all of the times that we resist, all of the times we think we're going to take care of ourselves, in the end, we'll find that the me time is the wasted time. And the time committed to seeking the Lord, that is the only time that matters. Of being his people, of serving his church, of saying I'm sorry, of following those impulses to do good that the Holy Spirit puts in people's hearts. What you do in this life matters, the first point. Second, not, second point, judgment is real. I don't know how you can read scriptures and say, oh, it doesn't matter. There's no judgment. There's no... There's a lot of people that are kind of head, trying to head that direction. And then finally, hell is real. Hell is real. And we don't have to worry about that too much. We don't have to get uh, wrapped up in the furniture. Uh, Jesus talks about hell. You can't avoid it. I tend to think of hell. Uh, hell is the best that God can do for some people. Hell is the best that God can do for some people. Uh, if you want to have a godless existence and run from God your entire life, uh, you can do that your entire life. And in the end, he will give you the desire of your heart to be apart from him and not beholden to him in any way. And you will enter into oblivion and absurdity. He will give you that if you constantly go after it and you want that. Hell is real. I tend to agree with C.S. Lewis. He says the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Uh, if in your selfishness, in your fear, in your pride, you want to live a godless existence, in the end God is going to give that to you. But at some point along the way, if that is your choice and this life ends and you decide that you don't want anything to do with God, at some point along the way, when justice is being done, when judgment is coming, when the punishment is there, things will be so unbearable that everyone who is experiencing that will try to flee, they'll try to escape, they'll try to turn around, and they will discover some, I don't know who, they will discover that there is no turning back, that there has been a point of no return that has been crossed. But while there is life, there is hope. If you are alive, if you are drawing breath, if your mind is still working, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. See, if the words of Jesus are to believe, be believed, there are a lot of people who are seeking to save their life and they'll discover that they've lost it. And there are many people as well who have given up their life in one way or another to take off the life of the suffering servant and will find that they have been given a life, not just pie in the sky by and by, but a life that has purpose and meaning and the benefits of a life lived in the kingdom of God. They are here even now and available to us even now. Well, that's enough about that because in the end of the day, fear is a terrible motivator. It, it's the fruit of it lasts very shortly. You know, the fruit of guilt lasts very shortly. See, it's not the fear of hell that draws me to Christ. 
but rather the never-ending riches of his love. A love that's so beautiful and so extravagant, I can't even comprehend it, and I can't fully explain it. But what does the kingdom of God give us? What does Scripture say that the kingdom of God gives us? Gives us now and gives us in the future. Well, this is, this is the wonderful stuff I got to think about and immerse myself in, in, in this last week. And I, I love you, church, for paying my salary to fill my mind with things like this that are so beautiful that I get to share with you. Um, what does the kingdom of God give us? Well, let me first say, some of these things are a little bit hidden. And uh, it takes a level of humility to be able to see some of their benefits even now. And Jesus talks about this. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny mustard seed. Have you seen mustard seeds, how small they are? There's certain, you know, if you plant stuff in your garden, there are certain seeds that you can almost get a hold of and plant in there. Mustard seeds are kind of not like that. Have you seen how small a mustard seed is? The kingdom of heaven is imperceivable, like a little bit of yeast mixed into a large quantity of dough. Do you see the yeast in the dough? when it's been mixed in? It's impossible to see, and yet you see the result of it working. The kingdom of heaven is in process, like a field that has been planted, and everyone knows that one day it's going to produce a great harvest. All that potential in those seeds and that ground. But we live in this in-between time, don't we? We're still in this in-between time where the kingdom has come, victory is assured because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf by dying on the cross. And yet, we live amongst other kingdoms competing for our allegiance, competing for our attention. We are in this in-between time before the final consummation of the kingdom of God where the mustard seed is still in process of growing into a tree, where the dough is still in the process of rising and the seeds that have been sown into the field they are still out there growing you are those seeds growing you are those seeds who are becoming this church body is dough that is rising so what does the kingdom of God give us even when it comes humbly, even now we begin to see certain things that it gives us. To those who have been obedient to the call of Christ, you are an heir of all the great and wonderful promises that God gave to Israel. Romans 4, 13 through 15, Galatians 3, 29, Titus 3, 7, James 2, 5. It says all of those promises that the Lord gave those glorious promises. Think about what he said to David. Think about what he said to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those, all of those promises 
are your inheritance in Christ Jesus, the scriptures tell us. You get to live now under a new covenant of the heart. You live now already the first fruits in the power of the outpoured Holy Spirit. The time that Joel looked forward to. You are one in whom Christ lives, Galatians 2.20. You, you who have been baptized into Christ's death, when you come out of that water and you make a commitment to live your life to Jesus Christ, you receive a new life even now that you begin living on His behalf. Romans 6, 1 through 11 talks about that. You are a remnant who's been chosen by grace. You remember the exile and the judgment that came and the, there's, a, there's a shoot off the stump of Jesse that is growing. We in Christ Jesus are that remnant who receive all of these great and glorious promises. You're given a new identity. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. You were adopted into a new family and you are given a right to be a child of that family, that kingdom of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You have put off the old self and put on the new self. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. You have been born again from above. John 3, 3. You have been given the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And this power is already working in our lives. It's already there. And those of you who receive the Holy Spirit, you know I speak the Word of God and you receive it as the Word of God in your heart and you claim these promises and you see the results of them and you feel the power of this even now. There are a lot of you in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about. And I maybe see in a mirror dimly Someday I'm going to see clearly face to face. Even now, the peace of God that transcends all understanding is guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. Even now, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take that from you unless you let it go yourself. Even now, we get to proclaim. We don't have to wait until this is forced on anyone. We get to say it in joy and in freedom even now. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even now, we have been delivered from this present evil age that we live in. Even now, we have tasted the powers of the, of, of the age to come and the kingdom to come. Even now, our citizenship has been transferred. Even now, we have been freed from demonic powers of evil. Even now, we are sons and daughters of God. Even now, we walk in the glorious freedom of the children of God. And even now, the image of God 
that has been planted inside us that has been marred and covered over by sin and all of our bad choices and the mistakes that we have made, even now that image is being restored into the likeness of Christ. And it says, that glory, it's ever increasing. Ever increasing glory. The eternal destiny that God has planned for you is at work even now if you will take it, if you will accept it, if you'll grab hold of it. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Even now. Even now. And I could not... There are so many great and wonderful and precious promises of our Lord. And this is just a sampling that I came up with this week. And you can make lists like this every week for weeks on end of all of the beautiful promises that we have in Jesus Christ if you will but take them. That's already now. That's already right now. And I haven't even got what's yet to come. Because in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come as well. I don't have time to go over all of that this morning. we get to be together with the Lord. We don't even need lights because the Lamb Himself will be our light. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. In Jesus Christ, as good as it may be now, the best is always yet to come. And when we wake up and we discover everything that we've been given in Christ, we realize that any costs that may be associated with being his disciple now is nothing compared to the all-surpassing riches that he has available to us, that he offers to us. And Jesus, he talked a lot about this too. He talked a lot about this too. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Hidden in a field, and when a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And maybe they've been there for a long time. And maybe you didn't even know it was there. And it's like like someone comes and 
they discover this secret that whoever knew this secret, they're dead and gone. And it's something that's been there hidden in mystery, in obscurity for a long time. Something that had been forgotten. And this man, or whoever this is, then they find this treasure. It sounds like they aren't even actively searching for it. They just go and they trip over it almost. That's how the kingdom of God comes to some of us. Something will happen in your life or your, your circumstances or the way you're thinking and suddenly you realize you have been given this great and glorious treasure that is worth more than anything else we can want. Hey, are you kids? Come up here, any of you guys who want to help. We're going to have you stand up here just a minute. I enlisted help this morning, so bear with me a little bit as all of these little people are here. Just stand there. You can turn around and look at, look at those people out there. And if that's too embarrassing, just look at each other or look at me. That's okay. Look at this. a good-looking little crew here. Praise God. All right. And, and, and Jesus goes on. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value... He went away and sold everything he had in order to buy it, in order to obtain it. This time, the person looking for the treasure is a trained professional. They're actively searching for something that they are going to be able to recognize by their trained eyes. I see you looking at that chest. Don't touch it yet. They were actively searching Maybe we're not told how long. It could have been a short time. It could have been a long time. They're actively searching. And then they realize, hey, this is the one. This is the treasure that we've been looking for. And he knows it when he sees it. He gives up everything he has in order to get that treasure. I cannot hold this energy back much longer. I feel it. I feel it. But that's the way the kingdom of God comes to us. It is like a treasure that when you discover what you have, you realize you have been given the best deal there is. How many of you kids want to open this and find out what this treasure is? Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. No. My money. Hold on. You don't, you don't realize what you got. Who wants to feel how heavy this is? It's my money. It's my money. I, I, I can lift it. Give me my money. I got it. I got All right, Sam, don't, don't squish any children with that. That's Killian. Okay. This is super heavy. Okay, Bethany, you want to try? Okay, hold on. This is not yet. Oliver, you got that one? Oliver, hold that chest. Don't let anyone open it yet. All right. Be careful lifting that. All right. Chaos has ensued. Okay. Put it back. Put it back. We got to look at that here. All right. So here's the story. Here, put it back up here on the stage. Can you get it? All right. Let's hold on to it. Okay. Oliver, you're guarding that chest. Okay. Here's the story of this treasure. The story of this treasure is in 1974, I was born. And 
my grandfather bought a bag of pennies, my dad's dad. And that bag of pennies sat for years and years. Now this bag of pennies, I don't know what Grandpa Gruen was thinking when he got that. But my dad discovered it in his basement, hidden behind the water heater of his house in Iowa. And because that's from the year I was born, I got to have that. And so I don't know what my Grandpa Gruen was thinking when he got this bag of pennies or when he had hid it away. But I was looking on eBay to try to figure out, what do I have here? I have no idea. And guess what? You guys want to open that bag today? Raise your hand if you want a share of that treasure. Okay. All right. Everyone who's in, let's look. Okay. So that bag, right now, they're selling one like it on eBay for $3.99. But sometimes if you break the seal of that bag and open it up, it's not worth as much. Sometimes if you touch those coins in your hands and get your fingerprints on them, they're not worth as much. So there might be pennies in there that have never been touched before. So these are 48 years old. What's that? I will give any of you kids one of these pennies. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. We don't, I don't know what's in there. But that one on the bottom is one that's been graded. And they looked at that penny. And that single penny is worth $80. How many of you would like to have a penny that was worth $80? Now, I don't know that it's worth $80. That's just what the... And they have to get graded by a professional and all of this other stuff. But it's worth more than a penny. Just the copper value in that penny alone from 1974, it's worth more than a penny now. All right. Oliver, you got the other chest? Oh, yeah. Okay. Come here. All right. You know how to open that one? Okay. It's got scissors. And scissors, scissors, we need to open it. You guys ready to open this? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Okay, I'm about I'm about to open it. I'm about to open it. Joe, don't don't reach in. We're just gonna look. We're just gonna look. Oh yeah. That's a lot of pennies. Alright. You see? Alright. I'm gonna pull one out. I'm gonna pull one out. Oh, look how shiny they are. This has not been touched in 48 years. Can you believe that? Okay. All right. So I'm going to open this up now and give you each a penny. I don't know how much these pennies are worth. But you can, so we'll take it. This is a treasure. But hey, what if this is worth $80? Is that the biggest treasure today that we've looked at? What's a bigger treasure than this that we've talked about today? Okay. The Lord. Do you know when we eat the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, that communion, that remembering Jesus, his body and his blood, that's a greater treasure than this. The word of God is a greater treasure than this. Even if each of these pennies is worth $80 or more, it's greater treasure than this, right? All right, so who wants a coin? All right, let me try to break it open. All right. William, you get the first one. 
Oh, they're shiny, aren't they? Yes. For something almost 50 years old. All right, here's one. There's one. There's one. Okay, once you grab one, once you grab one, you can go sit back down. Nick's, you want one? Do you want a penny? No, one. And here, because you pointed out that he wants one, here's two $80 pennies. And since you're the last, Oliver, I'm going to give you three $80 pennies. Here you go. You can share one with Avery, but don't let him swallow it. All right. Nope, go sit down. Oh, you got another brother? Here's one for your brother. Okay, here's one for your brother. Okay. All right. So, that's a big chest to hold three pennies, Oliver. That's our sermon for today. Rob, you can come up. Because the invitation to us is to remember... What a treasure that we have been given. All of the great and wonderful promises of the Lord that are available to us through what Jesus has done on our behalf. And even if those are $80 pennies that I was given away, you can ask me adults for one later if you would like one. Uh, Probably not worth that now that my grubby hands have been on them. But uh, anyway, I'll share those with you. But the greatest treasure of what we've been given, remember this, in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. And if you need to put the Lord on in baptism, if you need the prayers of this church for any reason, you can come talk to me up here in the front while we stand and sing our invitation.